0: Hey everybody and thanks for joining in on the XR for Business podcast with your host Alan Smithson. I'm really excited today I have Dr. Bjorn Schwerdfeger from Germany. He has more than 15 years experience in augmented reality. Together with the German industry he's evaluated almost every idea for AR in applications in industry. He's been a co-inventor of Pick by Vision at TU Munich and during that time when computers for AR glasses were still carried in large backpacks Bjorn holds a PhD in Industrial Augmented Reality, as a serial entrepreneur, and among other things, his company AR Experts is advising about a third of Germany's most important production companies and is shaping their augmented reality roadmaps. You can learn more about them at arexperts.de, and they have another product that they're going to be talking about today, it's ar or ar-giri, g-i-r-i.com. Björn, welcome to the show, my friend.
1: Yeah, welcome, Alan, uh, nice to meet you, uh, nice to meet you online.
0: looking forward for the podcast it's so exciting i I, the work that you've been doing over the last few years like a decade and a half is really starting to come to fruition now i mean all of the hard work that you and your team have done to evangelize a technology that let's be honest 15 years ago the technology really wasn't ready for the market tell us how did you get into this uh into ar
1: It was actually quite funny. I was still studying at the university, uh, stupid uh, boring computer science, and uh, then somehow this augmented reality vision popped up, and someone had a demonstrator uh, where someone took some glasses and glued uh, a webcam, you know, he had external webcams earlier, this hot glue to some glasses and uh, using some air toolkit stuff, and um, highlighting, a, I think it was just a cube, a virtual cube over... Um, a real about uh, over a marker, and uh, this was so fascinating that you can bring this uh, computer interface interactively to the real world, quite a long time ago, but it was really nice. Björn, did you say
0: there was a webcam hot glued to a pair of glasses?
1: Exactly, yeah. That's how we did augmented reality uh, 15, uh, 20 years ago. Amazing.
0: You are one of the OG, the originals of this industry. You've been building you know and advising brands and companies around their strategy for production. What is the one thing in augmented reality right now that you've seen the most roi it's
1: probably uh, we've seen a lot of, kind of companies trying to, to do everything
0: basically everything a
1: lot of us uh, have tried out in the last uh, decades and failed with it and we figured out what is actually the core of augmented reality, and the core of augmented reality is not it's not a measurement tool it's not a tool for everything. It looks like a display, and it is a good display. But uh, it, where its core is, where it's so good in, is in communication. A display for communication, an augmented reality display, is so much more close to your reality that the perception is getting much better. So what you try to communicate with uh, Excel sheets, uh, with nice PowerPoints, it's getting so closer to the user with augmented reality, and we figured out that the communication works so much better using augmented reality, using good implemented augmented reality, it's quite important. Uh, you can do a, a lot of mistakes there, um, but this is helping so much. And that's why you're seeing currently augmented reality mainly in marketing, because marketing is mainly communication. Uh, you see it in museums, because museums is also many communication, and in worker training. Because training is also a lot of communication. Communicating the knowledge someone has to another user, basically. It's the same in a museum. A few people have the knowledge of what has happened in the past. They've got the stories. Um, This is a tool to improve the way you're telling stories,
0: basically. Does it make sense to you? makes total sense. So when you say communications... Are you meaning I put on a pair of glasses and an avatar pops up and starts talking to me, or maybe a video screen? Give, run us through an example of what that would look like uh, in an industrial space.
1: It's uh, what auto-augmented reality. It doesn't do a lot, but what it does, it really improves the way we are communicating things. An avatar can pop up, but it's also uh, communicating technical complex things like uh, someone has constructed the car or a lot of people have constructed a car and a lot of other people need to produce the car, there's a lot of technical challenge you need to talk about. Um, you can make those things visible. So AR is a good tool to make things visible. Also for training processes, there's AR really good thing, a tool to make things visible. And also museums, uh, you've got some boring things there, but then you could put a story over it as a new layer, and the story is being told with augmented reality,
0: and that's why it's so nice. I recently read a book called The Age of Smart Information by Mike Pell, and he talks about how information now is just information. I mean, we have access to the world's information, I can Google pretty much any details. But it just gives me the information. It's not in context to my world. It's not in context to me. I can ask Google questions now voice, Amazon Alexa and Google's uh, voice. But really what, they're, what you're discussing here, what you're talking about is being able to look at a machine and the machine providing you with the story on how to fix it or how to deal with it. Is that, is that what I'm gathering here?
1: Also well, part of it, and
0: also bringing this information,
1: yeah, bring this information, registering it to the real world. That's what you're saying. Yeah, you've got your information in Google, but Google has information somewhere on servers. You can pick it up using your smartphone. But actually, you want to look at a machine or at an exhibition, and you will want to get the information which is there exactly for that uh, machine. And that's where augmented reality can help. And that makes so much more fun finding the information so much faster, and that's making fun basically.
0: I, I recently read uh, an article that came out. It was it's a study by IBM saying that over 120 million people are going to need, to need reskilling and upskilling as AI and robotics replace human workers. 120 million people. In my opinion, AR and VR are the the fastest ways to do this, but. You, you mentioned something that really stuck with me. You mentioned that it's a lot more fun. And I think if you look at education as a system, it's competing with Hollywood movies and AAA video games. If we don't start making education faster and more more fun, then I think we're going to start falling behind as we need to rescale people as fast as humanly possible. What are your thoughts on this?
1: You're talking about a lot, a lot of topics now. So one part is that one twenty million 20 million people need to be reskilled. Seeing that, uh, I guess it's one billion people working in production, one billion people producing things every day, I see that there are a lot of more people need to be reskilled uh, every day because also the jobs are getting more complex. So when you're working with clients, you always try to do an internship first with the customer. So we try to do the job which uh, we try then later to support with that We are then analyzing the situations and realizing, okay, those guys are doing a job since 10 years, 20 years, but now their life is getting more complex because they, they need to handle more complex machines, the tasks are getting more complex, and they need to do so much more work, so much more different work. And the world is moving faster, and the environments they are uh, working in is getting so much more complex. And then the answer is always, okay, how can you fix it in the future? And they're always saying, yeah, we need more people. And it's always an answer because those people are not thinking about making it easier to work on the more complex tasks. At least in Germany, we face a problem. You cannot find more people for doing a
0: job. This is universal, my friend. They just did a study recently. I'll have to put it in the show notes, but they did a study of 3,000 youth in the U.S. and China. And they asked them what jobs they wanted they gave them seven jobs to choose from. And in China, the number one job was astronaut. In America, the number one job was YouTube influencer. Mm -hmm. Think about that for a second. In Western society, our kids would rather try to be a YouTube influencer traveling around the world on Snapchat and, and Instagram than actually contributing to a business. And the mindset of that I think is going to start haunting uh, us in the future where AI is being taught to grade five children in grade school in China.
1: And also look about um, China used to be the, uh, the workbench of the world uh, 20 years ago. Yeah? And everybody was proud and rising up that they got a good job. And now, as you're saying, everybody wants to be an astronaut. What we figured out is there's some old people who like the job, but they don't find new people for the actual boring jobs. But what we figured out is we did a lot of doing all this, a lot of interviews with the workers. And they say, hey, wait, when you're doing it with the glasses, can I then self-qualify myself for the workplace? That's really interesting because on the one hand, you don't put production workers on so many different things because then they will do a lot of mistakes. But on the other hand, they want to do so many different jobs. But it would be so expensive to qualify them for so many different jobs but for your business on the one end you need to do it and on the other hand, they want to do it so why not give them the possibility to qualify themselves for so many more
0: different jobs and that's making it interesting if you look at people's linkedin especially younger people they're changing jobs every three years and that from a process standpoint from a factory if you're running a factory and you need somebody to work on a machine and every three years you're having to change it out and there are people that are working there now but the the average age of people working in industry is escalating above 50 and people are starting to retire en masse so you have this huge uh, group of people retiring from jobs that have been they've been in for 20 30 40 years people coming into those jobs they're looking at them going well i only want to do something from three years most and i want to try something new i always want to be challenged and I think you mentioned something earlier, and I thought it was bang on, is that we can make training fun. And by doing that, you're not only being able to train people on new jobs fast, so they can feel like they're uh, always growing. But I think also you you said that these jobs are becoming more and more complex, which I think is, is actually a benefit to, to everybody. Because if it's more complex, it's actually more challenging for the learner or for the, the person working. And I think that's Really what gets people excited is a real challenge in life. What are your thoughts on that?
1: As you're saying, it's a better fit for everybody. You can look at uh, some jobs and say, okay, I need more people for this. That's not a good fit. Really not for everybody because uh, uh, more people is more stress and uh, uh, more cost. And everybody's just doing one job and people want to do different things. Or you look at the other side, you, um, you give people the possibility that they are getting more Uh, The power to do more complex jobs and different jobs, qualify themselves, be more proud of what they can do, being more interested in that they can do different jobs. From the business side, that's more flexible workers, they do less mistakes, they remember 70% more. It's a better fit for everybody. If you look at this from a broader perspective, a better fit. Darwin was saying this uh, survival of
0: the fittest it's the English saying for it right survival of the fittest right but I think now we have the ability to imagine you, you 20 years ago if you wanted facts about something you had to you had to look them up and I mean there was no well I guess the internet's been around but it was really difficult to do it now I don't even have to pull my phone out I can just ask Google and every answer is there so it's not really about what you know anymore. It used to be what you know, and what you know, give you an advantage. But it's no longer about that. It's about how you apply that knowledge. And I think this is where augmented reality becomes a tool like we've like nothing we've ever had. You did a PhD in industrial augmented reality. What did that entail? Because I know that that was a big part of your uh, of your life. What did what does a PhD in industrial augmented reality mean? Or what does it look like?
1: You need to look uh, quite holistically on augmented reality. You cannot simply say, oh, this improves the job, uh, but you also need to find a way how it improves the job. So industry is not uh, using things only if they they work. So if they work from the technical side, does it really do the job? If they work from the business side, does it save me money? And uh, if it works for the people. If you don't find a solution for all those three areas, Technology, people, and business—it's not working.
0: <laughs> that is pretty much. If 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 nobody takes anything else away from this podcast, that is it. You got to have the technology that works. It has to serve the people, and it has to make good business sense. Exactly. And then
1: there are also a lot of other obstacles. What was funny in the last years was, uh, in particular, in the last year, quite often sitting in management rounds, and then um, the managers always were saying oh, we cannot give it to the workers, they are not accepting it, they don't like it, oh, we've got old workers, they cannot work with it, they were rejecting a lot of technology. But then if you are close together with the people and uh, with the workers and figuring out what they really need, what really helps them, those workers are standing there, also the old guys. It's really age-independent. Hey, that's cool, when can we get it?
0: Yeah, it's so true. You you mentioned that. I had somebody else on the podcast and they were saying, look, you really need to engage. You need three people in a conversation about rolling this out. You need the very high level. So you need the maybe the CEO or somebody in the, the C-level to champion, to say, yes, we're going to do this. You have my full support. Go for it. Then you need an internal champion from the management level who's going to keep the communication between the C C-levels to keep the funding going for the project. And then you need somebody who's actually going to be using it. Somebody who's on the factory floor, really doing this. And by having the buy-in of the three different levels, that's how you get real change. Is that what you're seeing?
1: Yeah. Also, I think the most important, you need need the okay from the CEO. You need to recover uh, the okay and support it from the innovation manager. But what you mainly need is commitment from the users to really tell you what they need. At the end, you need to have the solution for the workers. If only the rest suits, and it doesn't work for the workers, uh, they are simply um, destroying your glasses and they're uh, not going to use them anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can see that. So if you look at augmented reality in the enterprise, are you seeing more of this moving to glasses or, or is it tablet-based for now? What's being used the most and what is kind of delivering the most uh, effective ROI? We see some stuff happening on uh,
1: on iPads. And it's always quite nice, it's scalable. Um, everybody says it's a more robust technology. But if you're doing the deep dive in the technology and into the perception of information, it's very different with glasses. With an iPad, you're, you're having like a window to the world. You're basically standing out. You're in your house, you're looking through the window into the nice world. It's like there's some distance. What's the clue with augmented reality is that there's this... Um, real world overlay and that the distance between the point where you need the information where you get the information presented is going to zero. And this effect you only have with glasses. So that's why we are seeing more and more people working on glasses, also doing a lot of rollouts with glasses for sure you have, you have now seen only a lot of rollouts with smart glasses which is also already which you don't call um, augmented reality in Germany, I know you Americans do but it's good that it's happening. So you see a lot of uh, rollouts with smart glasses. We hope to see also more rollouts with uh, augmented reality glasses. Currently a lot of VR glasses getting rolled out. AR glasses are currently not getting rolled out because of uh, no one's currently shipping AR glasses. There's, uh, there's
0: magic lead. Still a challenge. <laughs>
1: yeah, but uh, a lot of things are solved. Next to me is, uh, again, another mm-hmm. broken HoloLens line. This device is like four years old. Four years old man, so yeah, um, yeah, everybody's waiting for the lens too, but we're also waiting for uh, some competitors shipping the glasses because, from the general point of view, from the technical challenge which are there, there are already some companies having solved those problems, but it's a matter of time, it's a matter of months now that um, Microsoft is shipping a new lens that uh, some other gla- uh, companies are shipping glasses. Yeah, there will be NREOS currently is soon shipping some glasses. Lenovo will soon shipping some glasses. We hope that Magic Leap is uh, putting a next generation of the glasses and also shipping to the European market. For sure, we have the glasses here, but um, we cannot currently roll out those glasses because they don't even have uh, certifications for the European markets. So this is um, like the next level of things which need to happen now, that the glass is getting all the certifications for the markets.
0: It's interesting, Bjorn. You you mentioned the first thing you mentioned was technology, then people, then has to make business sense. I think we're still struggling with the technology side. We have glasses. We've proven the business cases; they work, and it's just a matter of like <laughs> how are you shipping them at scale now. I think over the next six months, we're going to see an absolute tsunami of technology being introduced to the marketplace. You mentioned three different types of glasses. You've got. Overlay glasses or ones that kind of show you a heads-up display, uh, like RealWear, for example, who just raised $80 million. And those are not really augmented reality glasses. They're more heads-up display, Google is similar to Google Glass. And then you've got VR headsets, and then you've got AR glasses. And the latter, the AR glasses, are the ones that are able to look at a machine and project images on top of it in context to that in the real world. And VR has its place. Heads-up displays have their place. But really, the magic is in the, these AR glasses. Is that what you're saying?
1: Exactly. And uh, at the end, it has the uh, biggest benefit also. Because the, uh, on the way you're perceiving information, it's way better if you get it presented um, in a stereoscopic. 3 do it that way. That's what glasses are doing. There are benefits on the way, but uh, if you want to achieve this the 70% of memory effect that looks really good, uh, that people really are remembering so much more information because they saw the information in place, um, then you need to do it with glasses.
0: I don't know if you can give any specifics around companies that are deploying this. Are there any companies that you know that have deployed AR glasses at scale? Um, like real AR glasses, or are we still in the pilot purgatory of this?
1: Not really in
0: scale. So scale is like really
1: in thousands of units. There are some companies uh, we have been using several dozens of devices, but really currently is a problem uh, that no devices are available. And the last whole lens was shipped one year ago. Uh, now it's like uh, really all the glasses are breaking because they're so old. So you cannot, uh, as a you cannot say, okay, we roll out uh, 1,000 glasses because um, we cannot ensure that uh, they will hold for such a long time and that we get uh, replacements. That's currently not happening. But I think it's a matter of time currently. And also that the uh, companies, uh, the glassmakers are fulfilling all the IT requirements that we um, really can integrate uh, those glasses into large infrastructures that we can have proper device management, that we have CE certifications, that we have got uh, health certifications and all that stuff. Uh, That we have got hygienic certifications. It's also important. But we think from the technology point of view, it's actually solved, but not every glass maker solved every piece of the puzzle.
0: Yeah, I I think that's interesting. You look at all the different glass manufacturers and they all have different parts solved. Mm -hmm.
1: Technology scouting program, we are many for the European um, companies because we are scouting for the, all the AR glasses. So in the last three years, we've been reviewing, I think, 228 glasses. 228? <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> That's really quite a lot. For the most glasses, uh, half of them never shipped. For the, most of the other glasses, we figured out... Um, what is missing there? Um, they all have different focus, uh, where they want to be. We've also seen, which is quite sad actually, we've seen yeah. the media glass, for example, quite early and uh, looked with our physics and optical experts on it and said, okay, there's a fundamental problem they are doing with their optics. Why the hell are they doing it? <laughs> um, yeah, and one year later or two years later, they went bankrupt with the same device. Um, this is quite sad, actually, but it's probably it's so complex. Augmented reality, also virtual reality, uh, the companies also need to learn. But we've got the feeling uh, there are a few companies now who've learned a lot and who will be able to ship a lot of glasses by the beginning of next year. So I guess.
0: All right. So let's talk about specifics. What are, in your opinion, the top five AR glasses out of you? You reviewed two hundred and twenty-eight pairs of them, which is incredible. I would love to get uh, that information to share with the, the listeners if possible. But yeah, what are your top five then?
1: I mean, the big ones you probably know by yourself. Yes, uh, um, for sure, Microsoft uh, tries to be uh, the leader of the market, uh, but they're still not shipping. It, they should not be in the top five company because they don't ship. Magic Leap, for sure. I mean, everybody is saying uh, Magic Leap is not so good and they get over, sell what they ship. Uh, But the few things about Magic Leap is still better than HoloLens 2. Like what? I think the wearing comfort uh, uh, is still better with Magic Leap than with HoloLens 2. The comfort, yeah, because uh, at the end it's uh, way more lightweight.
0: Yeah, because they took the compute power off of the the headset. Have you tried the, the HoloLens 2 on?
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's really good um, from the comfort. It's way better than uh, the auto lens. It's uh, from the interaction. It's really good because it plays the whole lens one on so many heads. And you always need to explain a lot of things. The
0: yeah, yeah. That little pinch to, to click, nobody gets that. Anybody over 30 doesn't get that right. We're kind of in this weird place where it's like we know where the ROI is. Companies want to deploy it. And we can't
1: <laughs> for whatever reason. Yeah, and then they are uh, probably in the second row of companies can be uh, will ship devices at the beginning of next year. I kind of uh, most likely know all those companies. Enreal uh, is doing quite a good job.
0: Yeah, Enreal really impressed me as well. Enreal is a spinoff from Magic Leap. They took all of the best parts of the Hololens and Magic Leap idea. And they're like, hey. Really what we need is just a lightweight display with a bit of tracking, and that's it. We don't need eight cameras, and we don't need a computer on the head and all this, and so they run it through a USB-C, which now actually uh, this week you can plug it into your computer, I think they just announced, and you can also plug it into your phone. So your phone becomes the compute device, which makes the glasses much, much cheaper. I think they're shipping at $5.99, or or that's what they're taking pre-orders for. I can tell you right now, we've done a lot of VR and AR development. And we used to haul around a big, huge computer to do demos for people. We'd bring around, set up the computer and wire it up, put up the sensors, all of this. And I got the Oculus Go thinking, oh, this is going to be great for VR. And it was just underwhelming. It was only three degrees of freedom. You could look around, but it overheated. The battery didn't last very long. It was, just, it was glitchy. And so when the Oculus Quest came out, we kind of said, we'll just wait. It's not going to be as good. But I recently tried it uh, about a month ago, and I was very, very impressed with the Oculus Quest. As a VR headset that, that is standalone, the tracking's amazing. And now they just introduced a plugin where you can actually, via Wi-Fi, stream your computer to the Oculus Quest. So you can have computer-based rendering and graphics pushed to the Quest, which now makes the Quest an incredible tool for VR. I mean, it's not AR, but, man, the technologies behind these things uh, really are, are getting much, much more impressive over the next little bit. So we've talked about HoloLens, Magic Leap, NREAL. What are some other ones that are kind of popping out in the top of your head that maybe are shipping in the near future?
1: Um, we've also seen uh, the quest here, so we've got a huge heap of, um, of glasses that uh, are next to me. And um, <laughs> Are you got a big pile. <laughs> yeah, we're yeah, um, uh, gonna start a museum, Bjorn. Yeah, we we called it. Uh, it's a it's a kind of a museum. Okay, uh, it's uh, yesterday. By the way, I was in the Deutsche Museum, which is Germany's technology museum, and um, and they had the um, Oculus DK1 in the museum. It was looking so good because it was looking so old already. It's only six years old, yes but it was already looking so old because technology has improved so much.
0: Yeah, the VK1 was the first VR headset I ever put on my head, and I remember looking at it, and, you know, somebody put it on, and they had these big headphones, I thought, man, well, I don't know what this thing is, but it looks ridiculous.
1: <laughs> it's so big.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was like a, a scuba diving. Yeah, it was ridiculous, and I got to try the, was it the Pimax, the the one that's the 8K, and it looks like a big V? Oh my goodness, it felt like I strapped a fishbowl on my head. Yeah, but uh, now it's getting smaller, actually. Yeah, yeah.
1: not quite small, and there are also another some other glasses are getting smaller. So technology is advancing quite a lot.
0: You know, you know what's interesting about kind of mixed reality. So every you know the AR glasses are going from a, from a glasses standpoint where you can see the real world and then you're kind of putting holograms on top. But another company, Varo from Finland, they're taking a different approach. They built a really really good VR headset. And then they use pass-through cameras to create the, the mixed reality or AR effect. And I tried it, and I thought I was pretty skeptical because usually when you have pass-through cameras, it's nauseating. It, it makes you very sick or makes me very sick. And so I put it on, and I, we had the pass-through cameras, and I looked at my hands, and the first thing you do is look at your hands to see if it's real-time, and it was really, really accurate. It, was, it didn't make me sick. It looked proper. And then being able to bridge that gap between, okay, you're in VR – or, sorry, in AR, you can see the whole world, and then all of a sudden they're adding virtual layers to it. And I went from being in the real world with a car in front of me to being in a completely virtual space. It was incredible. It's not maybe not practical for certain applications, but for applications where you need to see the real world and you can wear a big bulky headset connected to a computer, uh, I think it's great. It's like that, it has some
1: benefits. Bio is doing a great job also by this uh, original display, which uh, helps a lot. We we tried it out. Bio is doing a great job, in particular with the original center display, and they are in an amazing way what they are doing. It already helps a lot because you can see much more clearer and in situations in the industry where you need to evaluate things. That's quite good. What I didn't get was a story with uh, the see-through glasses. <laughs> and I saw it. Uh, I tried it. Um, they're doing a good job, but it's still see-through. And it's uh, you typically, you know, we had uh, we've also the glasses here of uh, the Canadian startup. I forgot the name. They did the same. They were acquired by Apple.
0: Oh, Vervana. Uh, Vervana, yeah. Yeah, out of Montreal.
1: Yeah, yeah. We are um, we're having basically uh, the second device here they ever shipped.
0: Oh, very cool. You know
1: why Apple bought them? My guess was as uh, they were quite good in the latency of video C and in the development of video CSU.
0: What was what was new? There was those two things, but the one thing that they did that nobody else could figure out was occlusion from a single camera source. And if you look at the new AR kit system, the new AR kit allows you to do occlusion. And for people that don't know what that means, if I'm looking in AR glasses and I look at, at a A hologram that's three feet away from me and somebody walks in front of that, it should know that they're walking in front of it and to block it out as they walk through. If they walk behind it, it should walk behind it. But in most AR, it doesn't recognize the depth. So as somebody walks through it, the object just becomes really big because it's now projected on top of them instead of into the real world. And these guys uh, solve that. And you, if you look at the new AR kit release that just came out, that's actually one of the things that's embedded in it now. So I think that's one of the reasons they, they did that because occlusion from a single camera is very, very difficult.
1: I saw the demo of the AR kit uh, where they were showing this occlusion, and uh, I was really impressed. I was really impressed how good this was working because I know uh, about all the technical challenges behind it. And I was questioning whether it was only work uh, with a stereoscopic iPhone or with a structured light sensor. But there, so way you put the project infrared light uh, with the uh, bigger iPhones. Uh, but it's not. It was only done by a single camera. This was looking so good. They so had a person walking around and say, you could see whether this person was walking in front or behind the table. And this is amazing for augmented reality because you need to have this technology to make the uh, augmented reality um, looking really good, uh, to being more immersed into it.
0: Yeah, there's nothing worse than somebody walking through your hologram when you're trying to do something. <laughs> it's very distracting. Exactly, yeah.
1: However, coming um, <laughs> back to the, the Havana device, and video see-through, that's uh, the scientific term we're having for it, video see-through augmented reality instead in comparison to optical see-through. The video C3 part has a lot of other obstacles. So you're having the, uh, the frame rate issue, the latency issue. Yeah, So you're saying, is it real time when you move your hands, which is uh, very important?
0: That's what I think VARO got really well. They, they nailed it. I mean, it, it was imperceivable, the, the latency. That's quite important. Then you're having the amount of uh,
1: between dark and white. Oh, the contrast, yeah. contrast. That's important if you're,
0: I mean, if you're in a dark room, that's fine. How many people work in a dark room, though? (laughs) Not not (laughs) very many. I I think HoloLens 1 was pretty bright and had some good colors and had the good contrast, but I think we need to do better because most people work in very bright environments.
1: Yeah, but it's even more uh, complex when you're looking at the uh, video CSU Um, because the cameras um, have low contrast, and um, it's only just to a certain area of the environment. And so what you can see in the monitor of the device, it's only a part of the, of the world. And uh, if you're standing in front of the window, it can happen that it's getting quite bright and you, it's only getting bright. Or it's getting dark and you can't, can't see what is outside
0: the window. That's a challenge. Yeah, I think it's going to be a challenge. For now, we need to be in windowless rooms for that. so uh, bjorn i want to switch gears because we we have a a little bit of time left and i want to switch gears and talk about ar geary
1: that's our approach for training for worker training for training processes so we figured out in it was 2016 a long time ago, <laughs> we were asked yeah, to build some uh, training apps. That's uh, the time when we started with uh, ar yeah, based training. We did a lot of regulations at the assembly line, a lot of interviews with some workers, iterating a lot of prototypes. And then we, uh, we went live with some system and a lot of performance tests. And we had random people coming in. And we learned them using a whole lens how to assemble a car engine. And everybody managed it. It's some uh, opticals, need to improve the software, but in general everybody managed it. And afterwards a guy came us uh, after one day of the experiments and saying, Hey, I never ever assembled a car engine. I just have assembled the car engine. He said, Wow We're doing it since so many years and now it's working. We have some room for improvement, yes, but after so many years now it's working. We also could figure out together with our partners or customers um, that the learning benefit is so high that it's so really high, and that people are can qualify themselves. The motivation is higher; uh, they remember more. But then there is um, something also new, <laughs> but also the all the old management guys who were used to work in augmented reality and said, "Okay, that's nice, but uh, that's not a business case." Because you will never, ever manage to scale this because of the content creation.
0: Yeah, it's a problem.
1: How to get all this content inside. And when we also have a, uh, you need to get all your 3D data, but not also then. And we later figured out, you um, don't need so many 3D data. Errors are much more important than 3D data.
0: It's so true. Uh, Somebody else came on the show, and I can't remember, but they were saying that at the beginning, it might even be you, I think, when we recorded this previously, you were saying that we used to take a machine and recreate it in three dimensions and overlay it on top of the real machine. And then what people realize is that it was kind of a pain in the butt because you couldn't see the real machine because the digital one was on top. So just take all that away and just put the arrows of what you need. Very simple. (laughs) Do this. Big arrow finger pointing at it. We're seriously, as a technology industry, AR and VR technology, we really overthink things. And sometimes the most simple things are what end up being the most impactful. Exactly.
1: and But you need to figure this out. It's so complex to figure this out. Yep. Uh, and, uh, at the end, we are uh, only working with errors and videos and uh, structured videos. This really helps a lot. And we also figured out that uh, one part is someone needs to generate the content. Yep. And if you're having... For example, the trainer who knows how the process works. And then you're having the guy who knows how the AR content creation works. Those two guys play ping pong. Yep. Yeah? Oh, I want to have it like that. Okay, you do it like that. And then the programmer gives it back to the trainer and the trainer says, okay, if it's not what I tried to say with it, Okay, do it again. And they play ping pong all the time. But to all the guys who've tried it out, and it's always the same. So at the end, what we did or what we are doing um, is um, that we name the trainer, the guy who knows <laughs> who knows what needs to be trained, as uh, that he can generate everything by himself. But where do you need to generate it? Not somewhere in the office. It's a uh, uh, production is happening in the production line at the assembly line. So at the end, the trainer puts on the glasses, goes into the editing mode, he drags and drops what needs to be done. To so record basically what he's doing, it's pictures by live recording it using the HoloLens or using some other glasses. Then you just say, Okay, now start the training, and then the training is generated automatically.
0: Isn't that amazing? That, that's incredible. So, if people are interested in learning more about that, it's ar-giri.com. Ar-giri, Being able to enable trainers to create this content is going to be the key. And I think one more piece of the puzzle is being able to allow companies that create training, because some training, they're going to recreate environments and 3D models and all this, but being able to have some way for them to share that as well, because the content creation right now is very expensive. It's time consuming. But I think what we're going to see is companies that spend a lot of money on developing content, they're going to want to be able to monetize that as well, because there's got to be a way to, to share that content across different uh, entities. And that'll, that'll decrease the time to training right across the board. Exactly, yeah.
1: And that's also important to share the content. Yep. But some some we're working with, um, uh, with a VR training company on um, on sharing some 3D model content. Sometimes it's quite good to have 3D models, also you need to think about the different training stages uh, of a car, for example. Mm-hmm. If the car doesn't exist, if the assembly line doesn't exist yet, you need to train uh, with virtual reality because you don't have a car that you can train on. And uh, then you're moving over and in the later stage where the car exists, uh, the training is also getting more concrete what needs to be done. Uh, That's more augmented reality. Uh, But then if you can reuse some models, some 3D models, out of the pipeline, which already exists, makes the whole process much more scalable. And um, there's another thing we realized with content creation that the the workers and the trainers were saying, yeah, it's nice if you, you guys generate the a training, but the problem is production is not static. It's not like <laughs> uh, you do it in the top of five years and you do it always the same way. No, it's like um, if you're having errors and you're having errors every week, and then you change something, it improves the process. This new process needs again being trained towards the other people. And uh, so basically a training is, uh, is kind of, uh, can change every week because production is changing. It's also not that you're only assembling one car at one place. You ship different cars. You produce different cars at the same assembly line, and uh, there's a lot of variation. And uh, you need to train this all the time. And so, for each workplace, um, you need to improve the um, modify the training all the time, basically.
0: Well, Bjorn. Uh, we're, we're coming to the end of the conversation, but I, oh, before I let you go, and it's has been a, a fascinating conversation about augmented reality, the different glasses, how companies can roll it out, to package this whole conversation up, that, those are the key points. What is one thing, one challenge in this world, one problem in this world that you want to see solved using XR technologies?
1: We're kind of doing the uh, um, training, the powering jobs, right? which is our business and which uh, makes a lot of fun to us. Um, but there are bigger problems in this world, like um, education. And um, I feel my, my history education was so bad. It was really so bad. Uh, I learned a lot of things later. Um, I'm not a historian um, proficient there. Uh, but you can, augmented reality is such a great tool of to virtual reality to tell stories, to tell stories of uh, of our past, also to tell stories about technology, about complexities, about the basics of technology. Uh, For example, yesterday in the Deutsche Museum, they they reproduced the um, the, the lab, the office of uh, uh, Galilei. Oh, cool. Galilei was the first guy doing structured experiments and figuring out a lot of the basic principles. And... um, it was looking so nice, this room, and there were a lot of experiments here, and a few of them were explained. But it would have been so nice to have Gallini being inside there, animated, and telling the story, what he was doing, and would have so much impact and would entertain people so much and gives them the possibility.
0: And it's not hard to do. I'm writing an article on volumetric capture right now, and there's there's 55 volumetric capture companies in the world <laughs> so far. That we know of and that's good looking at education
1: you're having um i think germany pays uh, the most people the german government pays are teachers mm-hmm. and um, uh, sorry to say that but it's uh, most of them from my feeling are not doing the most wonderful job and uh, i have some really good teachers but most of them are.
0: so well it's hard to, it's hard to have the best teachers in a system where a teacher is in one school teaching a group of students, if that teacher now can can teach students around the world in a one-to-many VR presentation or AR, you can now start to bring really contextualized, personalized learning to the world. And I, I think the world's education system uh, systems, because there, there are multiple systems around the world, but they're just not going to be adequate for a world where the jobs are changing every few years now. Exactly, yeah. That's, that's a different story of uh, how, what skills do
1: we need in, in five and ten years and 20. But uh, if you're starting to digitalize, um, it's not about replacing old school teachers, but it's about um, giving teachers need to do different jobs uh, later. And, um, but it's also about, for example, um, if you need to teach a topic, uh, there are also different views on this world, on the topic. But if you then, for example, could take the three best people in the world, a U.S. guy, a Chinese opinion, a European opinion, and you take so you take the best teacher from the U.S. Which, who has a certain opinion. You take the best teacher from Europe who has a different opinion. And you teach a certain teacher from uh, a China who has also a different opinion. But you would have the chance to record those people once and then giving every student the possibility to experience all those different opinions, but present it in the best way to get the best three teachers for a certain topic. And then you can get it for the next topic,
0: also the three best teachers. Bjorn, I really thank you for joining us. And thank you everybody for listening. This has been the XR for Business podcast. You can learn more about Bjorn and his team at ar-experts.de. And you can learn more about their training platform, ar g-i-r-i. Dot com. Bjorn, thank you so much. Being an influencer on LinkedIn in the XR field uh, really has opened up an opportunity for us to not only understand what corporations are looking for in virtual augmented mixed reality and artificial intelligence, but also from the aspect of the startups, studios, developers, and enthusiasts out there and what they need. So what we decided to do after getting hundreds and hundreds of messages is to open up XR Ignite to the entire XR community of startups, studios, individuals, passionate people, and really to build a new community that brings together everybody who's passionate about this technology for a low cost and allow them to contribute, to learn, and to get better across the whole industry. That is really the reason why we started XR Ignite, to hyper-accelerate the XR for business industry, business and education. And one of the things that we just keep noticing is that there's so many resources out there. There's the VRAR Association, which we're partners with. There are you know reports coming out daily, but there's no one source where people can come together and start just having conversations around how to get better in this industry. And that's why we started XR Ignite. I would encourage anybody who's listening to this podcast, if you're in the corporate side, if you're a startup, if you're an individual, if you're an enthusiast, sign up today at xrignite.com, and you'll be getting access to new reports, investor lists, media lists, exclusive content, interviews with our mentors. We have over 56 mentors. And if you're a startup and you pay an annual fee, you'll actually have the opportunity to book a one-on-one, one-hour call with one of the mentors. What we're doing with that is we're actually recording those sessions, we're transcribing them, taking out any personal information, and we're making those transcripts available to all members. So I think XR Ignite is going to drive a lot of value for anybody in this industry who's looking to up their game, and also for corporates who want a real insight as to what technology is coming out. So I would encourage everybody to sign up at XRignite.com, and I really look forward to driving value, executing on our mission to hyper-accelerate XR for business and education.